0: Good morning. I am so glad to see you guys. Glad to be here to be a part of this. I've, uh, I've been excited about this week to come. Um, let's do what we do every week because we want to remind ourselves as well as everyone out there listening. This message goes out across the world through the podcast. People on, all over the planet hear this. So let's let them know what we believe. We believe that no matter your story. You are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Yeah. I'm excited today to have Nick Dowdy to come and speak. Uh, Nick is an awesome young man. I'm, I've known him for a long time, and you guys have, have heard him several times at this point. He does a great job. He's going to talk to us more about the story of Joseph. We've been going through this story, and he's, he's got to... I found like the toughest part of the Joseph story to talk about, and I just gave it to Nick. It's like, here you go, Nick. Take that. So um, I think he's going to do a fantastic job. So give give Nick Dowdy a big welcome, please. Come on up here, Nick. It's all yours, man.
1: Yes. Yeah, I turned it on and muted it earlier. Well, good morning, everyone. Like he had said, my name is Nick. I've been here a handful of times now, and apparently you guys haven't told him to drive me off yet, so that's good. Um... So good morning and happy Halloween, and I hope your day is blessed with your favorite candies and a visit from all of our favorite ghosts, the Holy Ghost. Um, (laughs) So like Michael was saying, today we're going to continue in our story of Joseph. We're going to be talking about uh, the part of his story where he had to deal with temptation, and so when Michael was uh, talking to me about this series and the themes that he had for these messages, this was the one that Really stuck out to me, um, simply because it's something that I personally uh, relate to a lot, and I'm sure all of you do as well. Because temptation isn't anything new to our lives, um, and Joseph's story is pretty inspiring to me, especially as someone who has struggled with pornography in the past. It it really is amazing to see how Joseph resisted the temptation that he had in his life. Um, and so, if you have your Bible with you and you want to follow along, the place that we're going to be camping out in today is Genesis thirty-nine, six through ten. We uh, we're going to be jumping around to some other scriptures that God led me to, uh, but that will be the main area that we are focused in on today. So, just to communicate what my desire for this message is with you guys. Um, I want it to help us to learn, obviously, more about Joseph's story, but ultimately to help us to uh, understand what temptation is at its base, to help us to recognize what temptation is, and why it is so important to resist it. So if you're not familiar with Joseph's story, today we're going to discover why it's such a prime example of resisting temptation. If you do know it well, I've been praying that God will speak to your heart today about it anew, and that it won't just be... Hearing the same story again, but God will bring new life to it uh, with the situation that you find yourself in. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and open this up in prayer real quick before I jump into this. So if you want to join me, Dad, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I want to thank you for this opportunity. I want to thank you for this group of people, this family, um, this, this community that has been built uh, upon you. And I just want to thank you that we can come together every week to discuss your word, discuss the uh, stories that you've given us to learn from. And I pray that as we go into Joseph's story, that you'll speak to our hearts and have it relate to where we're at in modern day, and that you will uh, help us to understand what temptation is. I pray that you'll help us to know where the lines are, the clear lines are between temptation and sin, and that ultimately uh, we'll be drawn closer to you through this, and that we'll learn something, and that you are glorified. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So, we are going to start in Genesis 39. We're going to start with verses 6 through 10. So, just a little chunk. Not going to read it all at once. It's quite, quite a lot. So, just a quick recap. I, my wife and I, uh, haven't actually been here in a couple of weeks. So, I, just in case you haven't been here either, I wanted to do a quick recap of Joseph's story. Um, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because his brothers got mad at him because he said he was going to be reigning over them. So he was like, we don't like you anymore, man. And then they went to an extreme and sold him into slavery. <laughs> um, and so up to this point in the story, Joseph was sold into slavery. And now he has been bought by a man named Potiphar. Um, Potiphar is one of the highest officials in Egypt at this time. Uh, he is basically the head of security uh, for Pharaoh. So he, he's a pretty important and trusted guy. Um, And so he buys Joseph, and then he has Joseph serve in his household. And so we are going to read in verse 6 now, and it reads, So he left, and this is Potiphar, speaking of Potiphar. So he left all he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife's eye And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. So in this part of Joseph's story, we are told that Joseph has been put in charge of everything in Potiphar's household. He runs the whole show. Potiphar basically can do whatever he wants and all he has to do, the only choice he has to make during the day is what he wants to eat. Wouldn't that be nice? Um So Joseph is very trusted by Potiphar. Joseph has risen to a place of power and esteem inside of this household as a slave. And uh, the only thing that has been kept from him, understandably, is Potiphar's wife. (laughs) Um, And so he even goes to the extent, Joseph goes to to the extent in his reply to Potiphar's wife that even Potiphar is not greater in this house than he is. That is to the extent that he has risen. And that to be a slave and to be on the same standing as your owner, that's, that's a pretty big deal. So he is extremely trusted and has found extreme favor with Pharaoh's chief of security. Um, so like I said, Joseph took care of all of the household duties to the point that the only thing Potiphar had to worry about was what he wanted to eat for the day. Joseph was in a position of the highest regard possible as a slave of, of this household. Um, and he, like he said, the, the, what Joseph said, the only thing that has not been trusted to him or given to him by Potiphar is his wife. And so one thing that I want to point out, as, as you go through and read the scripture, it can seem that it happened overnight. It can seem that Joseph showed up on the scene and then Potiphar is like, oh, the Lord, the Lord is with you. He, he is upon you. Here, run my household. <laughs> that, that is not the timeline. That, that's not truly what happened. And so this didn't happen overnight. Uh, Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. So he, he was fairly young. And by the time that this story came into play, he was 28 years old. So he was sold into slavery, bought by Potiphar. So there was an 11-year period that Joseph was within this household. Growing in, uh, uh, growing in his standing with Potiphar, growing in his uh, character, and him coming to a place of leadership of like he did, that place of power like he did did not happen as soon as he showed up on the scene. There was development. And so one of the, one of the things that I want to emphasize about this story is that God has every ability to take someone and put them in a position of power at the blink of an eye, if he so chooses to do that. But it has been seen over and over again that God chooses to allow people to develop over time before placing them in such a position. And like I had mentioned, it was during this 11-year period that Joseph's character grew and matured. It wasn't until he had came to a place where he was able to be trusted with this position that it was given to him. Um, And on top of that, If Joseph isn't a good enough example for you, we can even look to Jesus. Jesus' ministry did not start until he was around the age of 30. Jesus wasn't a teenager and went out and started ministering and came into a place where he had all the uh, level of authority that he did when he truly started his ministry. Obviously, he was God and he was fully God, so he had all the authority of God, but because he subjected himself as a man and grew up as a man, uh, he had to mature and grow just as we do. That's why he's such a good example. Um, and so just a li- I wanted to uh, touch on that to give a little bit of a backstory because it, it can be easy sometimes to read scriptures and think that it just happens just like that. But there, there was a growing period for Joseph. But, uh, so he has been in this household for a very long time. He has a lot to lose if he chooses to indulge in this temptation that Potiphar's wife is giving to him. Um, and in these verses, we learn that Joseph is noted to be a very attractive man. It's worth pointing out that the Bible only calls two other men attractive in the physical sense in the entire Bible. So there's three men that are called to be attractive. And, so it, and the Bible, where, uh, in the language that it was written in, the culture that it was written in, um, when it points something out like this, it does that because it is very noteworthy. It does it because it needs you to have that in mind as you go through the story. So be sure to keep that in mind uh, <laughs> because the Bible wouldn't just point out that he's attractive for no reason. Um, and so this could explain as to why Potiphar's wife wants this so badly, why, he want, why she wants to lie with him so badly. Um, and we are told that day after day, that Potiphar's wife came up to Joseph and told him this. So we, we don't know for sure when Potiphar's wife was like, okay, I want me some Joseph. Um, but he was in that house for 11 years running this house, so I can't imagine that it only happened at the end of Joseph being there. Chances are this happened for years. This happened, and it gradually grew as, Potiphar deci- as Potiphar's wife decided that she wanted her some Joseph. Um, so every single day, Joseph was tempted with this. At some point, Potiphar's wife was like, okay, this is my sole focus. This is what I'm going after. This is who I want. And it was day after day that she went to him and said, come lie with me. This wasn't some single event. This, this happened consistently. And you can only imagine the pressure that Joseph was under trying to manage this household, trying to ward off his master's wife um and trying to balance it all without losing everything um so you personally may not have your master's wife offering herself to you but i'm sure that you can relate to being tempted day after day i'm sure there are days that you find yourself being more successful in resisting those temptations and there's other days where you find yourself giving in and um With that, I want to take a moment and zoom in on the difference between temptation and sin. Um, While we may know logically that they are not the same thing, there tends to be a lot of blurred lines when it comes to temptation and sin. There tends to be a lot of confusion when we find ourselves in a moment of heavy temptation. Um, And so if we are to successfully resist this temptation we We have to be able to see the dividing lines clearly, right, and so we're going to look at James one twelve through fifteen uh these These scriptures are found in the New Testament and it's speaking specifically on sin or temptation and sin um and it it this scripture here gives us these clear lines these it takes any confusion that we have and gets rid of them so long as the version you're reading doesn't confuse you further. Um, <laughs> so, uh, James 1, 12 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So I want to pinpoint the lines that are drawn in these verses, because as you read that, it, it may not be so, so clear, but if you break it down and look at it verse by verse, it, it's, it's very clear what lines are drawn. So the first line is that God is never the source of temptation. That is the first thing that is drawn here in this scripture. God is never the one that is tempting you. Now, the second line that is drawn is that people are tempted by their own desires. So, does anyone here want things in life? I want things. I, you know, I, I wanted a car whenever I broke down on the side of the road on the interstate. That wouldn't do that to me, and um, thankfully that I, I got one of those And until it decides to start messing up, but that's besides the point. Um, we all have desires in our life. We all have uh, desires to be financially stable. We all have desires sexually. We all have desires to have a job that we feel fulfilled in. We all have different desires in life, and that's okay. That in and of itself is not an inherently bad thing, um, but it's when we take these desires and we go down the route that Satan provides to get a quick and easy fix to achieve them. So, these desires that we have, most of them, hopefully, are from God. Most of them are, some of the desires that we have in our life, because we live in a broken world and we have a broken nature, are not from God, right? So, but that's not what this message is about, and we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, But again, so the second line is that people are tempted by their own desires. If you look at Adam and Eve, they, they had this desire that was in them to be like God and to know good and evil. And so it wasn't until Satan came along and provided that route for them to get what they desired that that turned into sin, right? There, there is that dividing line. Before they bit into the, the fruit, I'm not going to say apple, we don't know if it was an apple. Before they bit into the fruit, um, it was not sin, it was simply temptation, right? And so the third line that is drawn here is just that. It's that sin is only birthed after we pursue these desires through ungodly paths. Okay? So, the third line is that sin is... uh, It only... Temptation only becomes sin once we act on those desires in a way that does not honor God. Right? And so, the fourth line is that death is a result of sin. Now... Death is not always in the literal sense where you pass away, um, but sometimes it can be the death of a marriage, it can be the death of a relationship, it can be the death of a job, it can be a death of your feeling connected with God. Sin breeds death, and there is no other way around it. And so, um, the line that we're wanting to focus on to help clear up those, the confusion and the blurred lines that happen when we find ourselves in a moment of heavy temptation is the third line, okay? Really the third and the second line. Um, And that third line, like I had said, is sin is only birthed after we act on our desires in an ungodly manner. And so, sadly enough, we as humans tend to flirt with temptation. Uh, But again, it only becomes sin after we choose to act on it, right? And so if... Uh, We do not understand that if we do not have those clear lines drawn when we find ourselves in a moment of temptation There tends to be this feeling of defeat that rises up in us as soon as we feel tempted There's this feeling of feeling weak simply because we're tempted and so because of that satan plays with those feelings And we feel like well, what's the point in fighting? We've already we're tempted. We already feel awful Why not why fight? Let's just give in let's give in get it over with, you know, move on, repent, get, and then keep going. And then maybe next time we won't be tempted and we'll be fine, right? I don't know if you guys relate to that, but that, that was my experience for a very long time, especially with pornography. Um, there, there was a very long period of my life where once that desire rose up in me, once that sexual desire rose up in me, I already disqualified myself from being able to resist it because it was simply there. And that is a lie straight from Satan and a lie to keep you from realizing your freedom and ability to resist that temptation. Um, where am I in my notes? Sorry, sometimes I get away from my notes and then I lose where I'm at. <laughs> um So yeah, whenever whenever we feel tempted, we can feel weak for even being tempted. Um, and if we if we look at those lines that James, uh, what was it? James, one twelve through fifteen, draw. We can see that it does not become sin until we choose to act on those desires, right? And so there's hope when you're tempted. There's there is a way to resist it. <clears throat> you're not disqualified simply because you've been tempted. And if that was the case, if we were disqualified and there wasn't this line drawn, then Jesus would not have been holy. Because when you look at Jesus' story, he was tempted more than any other person that walked on this earth, and yet he was still sinless, right? And so I want to encourage you that if you, uh, that when temptation comes, it's not too late for you to resist and overcome it, right? You're not too far gone just because you've been tempted, um, you are not disqualified simply because you 've been tempted. you are actually in very good company. so temptation just to put it to put it clearly, temptation is not sin, right? Temptation is not sin. Can we say that together? Temptation is not sin. Cool. What else can I get you guys to say? Um, <laughs> um, marshmallows are breakfast all together now now. <laughs> um (laughs) so we have not committed a sin simply because we have been tempted and this is crucial to understand sin is the offspring of us acting acting on temptation and death is the grandchild sin gives us once it's fully developed i'm gonna i'm gonna say that one more time just just in case it didn't make sense so sin is the offspring of us acting on temptation. So when we're flirting with that sin and we finally act on it, we give birth to sin. And then sin grows up and has a child called death. That's the process. That's what happens. And so don't flirt with temptation. Um, so those, those are the first things that I wanted, wanted to touch on. I wanted to touch on what temptation is. I wanted to draw the line between temptation and sin so we can have a a true understanding of what Joseph is dealing with and what we deal with. Uh, So now we're going to go ahead and move on to Genesis, the last bit of the story, Genesis 10 through 20. Um, So I'm going to read 10 through 20 to you real quick. And it says, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. to lie lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He has came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice he, and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her, by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So a lot happened in those ten verses. Um, And the first lesson that we can learn from this section of the story is how to prepare for temptation, right? So in verse 10, we are told that Joseph was tempted day after day, but he made a point to never be alone with Potiphar's wife, right? So if we go back to verse 10, I'm going to read it to you again real quick. It says, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, so he was tempted day after day with this, he would not listen to her to lie beside her." beside her or to be with her. So as Joseph went about his day-to-day business, he made a point, he made a plan to never be alone with Potiphar's wife. That was his intention. Those were the boundaries that he drew for himself because Joseph knew his limitations. Joseph knew uh, his strengths and his weaknesses and he made sure that he made a line that he was not meant to cross because once he crossed that line, temptation can get to the point where it is so strong that we are not able to, to, to resist it as well as we want because we are blindsided by it. So, let's see. So, like I said, Joseph knew his limitations and did not try to ignore them. He set up clear boundaries for himself And did not cross them for any reason. Joseph had a plan on how to resist rather than flying by the seat of his pants. And so I want to encourage you that whatever temptation, whatever reoccurring temptation that you may have in your life, that you take time to sit down with God or your loved one, uh, whoever it is, both preferably, and try to make a plan. Try to think about the times that you find yourself being tempted the most, and what can be done to counteract that. Because we know ourselves. I mean, we do. And if we're honest, we know the times that we find temptation creeping in the most. Um, And it is very possible, very possible, to make a plan to avoid that, just as Joseph did. It's very possible to make sure that you're never alone with your temptation, um, and that you have accountability. And so, In addition to this, a way to resist temptation is to remember that the act is actually wickedness. And so Joseph remembered that this act, according to God's law, is wickedness, right? Um, In in his little response to Potiphar, uh, he says, where is it? What verse is that in? Verse 9. Thank you. Well, that's not in this section. But um, (laughs) so in verse 9, Joseph tells Potiphar's wife that this is wickedness to God. He says that how can I do this to my master and how can I do this to God, right? And so especially in today's age, uh, (laughs) we often want to call sin by another name. We often want to call what we're being tempted to do by another name so that it doesn't actually seem as bad. And so, a lot of the times, hostility and temper are called self-expression. Pride is self-esteem. Gluttony is the good life, living the good life. Covetedness is trying to get ahead. Perversion is an alternative lifestyle. Adultery is a cry for help in a bad marriage. And ultimately, Satan in the world wants to give these things different names that aren't sins, so that our brain will have those blurred lines once again, and it's, we don't have our guard up in uh, context with these things. Um, Satan attempts to convince us that what we are being tempted with isn't actually as bad as the Bible says it is, just like he did with Adam and Eve. Satan attempts to blur the lines once again and the world pushes us in a direction of acceptance which lowers our guard against temptation. And so one of the big things that Joseph did day after day is he did not allow that line to be blurred. He, he made sure that he knew and held to God's law saying that this is wickedness and this isn't okay. This, this is going to bring death into my life. So I also just want you to take a moment and truly consider Joseph's situation. This was probably a pretty risk-free proposition for him. There was little chance of him getting caught. Um, Potiphar's wife did not want a a relationship. It's not like they were going to run off together. But Potiphar just, she wanted him some Joseph. uh, Wanted her some Joseph and wanted to have that pleasure that was going to come along with that. It wasn't anything more... Than no strings attached. And so Potiphar's wife had the influence and ability to create an environment where it could have been kept a secret. And so Joseph very easily could have given into this and hit it and had this secret and not got caught and not lost everything, right? Um, but Joseph cared more, cared about more than just getting caught. Uh, knowing that everything was before God's eyes. He cared about that. Even from a small age, (laughs) we learned to resist temptation out of fears of consequences and not out of valuing relationships. I mean, think about it. The nerves that you felt when you were trying to sneak a cookie before dinner weren't because you were nervous about eating the cookie. You were nervous about mom walking in before you finished. Right? So... If we really want to resist temptation... If we truly want to know the key to resisting temptation, we have to be real with ourselves and real with God and say and call things out for what they are and care more about than just getting caught, right? Joseph did not want to bring death to the connection that he has with his God or to dishonor his master, right? So to truly resist the temptation over a test of time, we must do it out of a heart that values connection with God over whatever pleasure is brought by that sin. If we resist temptation simply to avoid being caught by people, we are going to run out of motivation when no one is looking. We are going to have the mindset that is constantly looking for a moment to use again and is scheming to make sure that we do it in a way that no one will know. Living this way brings shame and regret into a Christian's life because our consciences are are always at war with themselves, right? You can't live this way and live a full purpose-driven life. It's not possible. Um, When we live in secret, we cannot truly connect with those in our life because there's always a part of us that we're trying to hide. When this is the way we live, it keeps us from dreaming bigger. When we use all of our energy attempting to hide a secret from those around us, rather than uh, using all of our energy on the possibilities of this life, we, we do not dream the way God intends us to. We do not connect with people the way God intends us to. Our brain function becomes consumed by hiding rather than being known. So, I know that's heavy, I know that's a lot, but it's real and it's needed to be talked about, because ultimately God's plan and desire for us as human beings and his creations are to be known by him and to be known by others, right? Th- that That is the ultimate goal, and, and to obviously expand his kingdom and have more people come into that uh, reality of being known and loved, um, but God created us to be known and to be loved and to be connected, um, and whenever we Simply resist temptation to not be caught by others. We, we are not living in accordance to that plan. So, what happens when our well-thought-out plan fails? What about when we are face-to-face with temptation? Uh, again, Joseph gives us an, a perfect example of this in verse 12. We run from it, right? Uh, the scripture that I want us to go ahead and read uh, in relation to this is found in 1 Corinthians ten twelve through 13 excuse me. So while we are n- may not always be physically able to run from whatever temptation we have in our life, God does make us a promise that he will provide a way out, right? And so this is found in 1 Corinthians ten, twelve through 13, and it reads, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may endure it. And so, every single situation that you find yourself being overwhelmed by temptation, rather your plan that you had, that you made beforehand, works or not, God still provides a way out. We are without excuse. I'll say that again. We are without excuse when it comes to temptation. God always provides a way out. The reason it may not feel like there is always a way out is because we're so busy flirting with the temptation that we're not looking for the way out. So, um, in Joseph's situation, this opportunity presented presented itself as literally running out of the house in his underwear to avoid the temptation. Um... But when you find yourself in a situation where it feels like you've been backed into a corner, know that God will provide you a way out. You just, you need to be looking for it. It doesn't have to be a secret either. It doesn't have to be this, like a surprise in the moment. Like I had said, you can pray and speak to God about what it may look like. Now, you may not always know, but it doesn't have to be an in-the-moment decision. Um, You can have an emergency plan set up, you know. So... Let's see. Oh yeah, that was one of the other things. It's not in my notes, but this is for free. Um, another thing with uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 12 through 13 that is mentioned here is that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. One of the things that Satan attempts to do is make us feel isolated. He attempts to make us feel like no one can relate to our situation. No one has ever been Dealt this amount of temptation before. This is unique to me. No one else would be able to overcome this. This is too much. And that's a lie. The Bible clearly states that's a lie. The Bible clearly tells us that no temptation uh, that has overtaken you is not common to man. Every temptation is common to man that you face. It may be in a different variation, it may look in a different way, but ultimately, it's, your temptation's not unique. I'm sorry. It's, it's just not. Um, and again, to reference back to Jesus, because he he's a pretty good example of things, he went through every single type of temptation. He was in the woods for 40 days, um, 40 nights, and he was tempted by Satan and was able to resist it. Imagine, 40 days of just temptation. How would you swear up against that? I wouldn't do so great. But... I can only imagine within those days there, there wasn't anything that wasn't thrown at him, right? All right, we're almost done, I promise. It's 10.52, I'll get you out of here, I promise. Okay, uh, so the cost of resisting. Whenever we resist temptation, whenever we have been giving in and not fighting against whatever temptation it is in our life, as soon as you start to do it, You may have to pay a price for it. And that's okay. Uh, Trust me, it's okay. But Joseph himself knew that uh, this stand for purity, this this decision he made to run and leave his garment was going to end up costing him. He had to know that. There's no way that running out of the house and leaving the situation like it was was going to go over smoothly. Um, But he considered it worth it. In verses 13 through 20, we see the price that he paid for remaining faithful to God and his master. Potiphar's wife accuses him falsely, and it ultimately ends up with him finding himself in prison. He lost everything that he had worked for in those 11 years. It was all down the drain just because a woman was mad at him and decided to lie and tell tell, tell a fib because she didn't get what what she wanted. And that only happened because Joseph... Decided to remain true to his character and to the integrity that he had built through those years as well, and to remain faithful to God. And he paid that price. And so sometimes there's a price to be paid for resisting temptation, but we do this in faith, trusting that God will work all things out together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And not to get too spoilery, not to spoil anything for next week or whenever we end up going further into Joseph's story things do end up working out for him again. Um, and so, when we resist temptation, we can lose things. When We uh, we can lose a group of friends who we have known for all of our life when we choose to not go out drinking anymore. We can lose a promotion at work when we choose not to join in on slander. We can lose out on a sense of comfort when we choose to not partake in our addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, or porn. Or we can uh, lose out on the next big item, the next big iphone the next big car we could lose out on all these things when we choose to not spend our money unwisely but all of these things are the price that we pay for resisting temptation and it's worth it right and so when we choose to resist these temptations it may come at a cost but god is going to honor those decisions to resist and so in closing we're going to land the plane now uh When we resist this temptation, when when we choose to prioritize our connection with God and others over whatever pleasure may come from that temptation, we gain a sense of freedom and connection to God and to those around us uh, when we choose to resist that. When our conscience is clean, we have the opportunity to dream big and look to the future because we're not spending all of our energy trying to hide or wrestle with whatever it is that we're bargaining and choosing to allow into our life. We can live life more fully, connect with our loved ones more deeply. We can lose some things when we resist temptation, but what we gain is so much more valuable than what we lose. Sin restrains our growth and how connected we are to God and people around us. Um, when I think of temptation, and whenever I think of sin, my thoughts always go to porn, use, and addiction just because that's my, a part of my story. The temptation that you struggle with may be different, but the end result of giving in to any temptation is the same. That result is death of our creativity and our ability to dream. Sin destroys everything that it touches, and one of the biggest things it destroys is our ability to be creative. And so... I just want to encourage you to resist that temptation, to recognize it for what it is, to refer back to James, and stick to those uh, clear boundary lines, so that you know uh, what happens when. You know that when you give in to temptation, that's when sin is birthed, and that's when death comes. It's temptation, in and of itself, is not sin, right? And I also want to encourage you all to dream big with God. Uh, I want to encourage you that he has wonderful plans for your life, and I don't want you to miss out on them because, you're, uh, because you are choosing to accept a lesser, <laughs> a lesser thing in life by giving into that temptation, right? What God has for you is so much more than what this world can offer. It's so much more than that pleasure that you get from, when, from that sin, right? It's so much more. And so I just want to close this in prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Michael and thank you guys. Um, Dad, we come to you in the name of Jesus again, and I just want to thank you for this opportunity once more. I want to thank you that we can learn from this story. I want to thank you that there is a way out of temptation. I want to thank you that you promise to provide that way every single time. I want to thank you for how much you love us and the plans that you have for our life and just how good you are all the time because you're faithful and it never changes and in a world that's not consistent, it's, it's awesome that you are and that you never change. And um, I just pray that you'll help us to connect with your heart more deeply and to connect with those around us more deeply. And, um, yeah, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you, Nick. To God be the glory. That's a good word. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, no evening service tonight. We have a wedding here. Congratulations to Caitlin Crook. And uh, you guys be safe out there today. Lord willing, we will be back here next week, 10 a.m. for the morning service. But with the, I think the time changes next week or it's about to change. So keep that in mind. And the evening service will go to 5 p.m. So we're not totally in the dark. So if you're one of those folks that catch us at the evening service, look for 5 p.m. All right. Thank you so much. Big thanks over here. To this young lady, Casey, who's ran a computer and done a great job today. Thank you so much. God bless you guys, and we'll catch you next time.